One of the fun things about doing this radio program is having people call you a conspiracy theorist. It doesn't bother me. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Yeah, the voice is getting a little stronger with each passing week and day. I'm trying to still be a little cautious, as I've been advised to do. And so we take everything one day at a time. Now, I open the program with these words about about conspiracy theory. And it's become increasingly obvious, except for those that refuse to see truth. That the difference between a conspiracy theory and a fact is a matter of months. We've seen this over the past three years. And I stand amazed at how many people are still deluded into believing the lies that were pushed so emphatically, so so viciously. And I say that truthfully viciously pushed upon people and if you even dared ask a question you were shouted down you were deplatformed you were called names you were threatened even with arrest in some countries for sharing a viewpoint different than your government when it came to something like oh i don't know covid 19 i was thinking the other night having a little bit of trouble falling to sleep And I was thinking about all that has occurred these past three years. The things that were done in the name of COVID and safety and saving humanity, saving lives, stay home, all of it, be safe. And and all of the lies that were told along the way. And early on, many individuals knew something was wrong with the narrative. And yet, the narrative from certain people in power around the world persisted. And major corporations like Google and others, Facebook, which I call fascist book, and Twitter at the time, became the gatekeepers of government propaganda. You either towed the line or you were shut down. Things on YouTube were banished and disappeared that happened to be true. We know it now. We know with a total certainty now that so much of what we were told from the get-go was a bold-faced, absolute, unmitigated lie. We were told the fatality rate was something like 3 or 4% for anybody that got it. Turned out to be a lie. I can remember, and once again, I watched the narrative begin to unravel in the first weeks of our COVID response in the United States because I'd come out of retirement to go back to work in emergency management. And I'm watching all of these conferences, press conferences. I'm studying. I'm researching. I'm trying to learn everything that I can because I have a twofold job with the county that hired me to come out of retirement 
to help with the team on COVID response. And remember, in February of 2020, I didn't know much. What did we know about COVID? Only what we were being told. And I, in good faith, answered the call to go back to work in emergency management. Because like I say, we have been told at that point, this huge number of people that were expected to die in the United States in a short amount of time. And I can remember the county that I worked for gearing up for mobile testing about the time that I was heading up because everything was happening at a, at a breakneck speed and cars lining up and people in their hazmat suits swabbing noses of cars pulling into parking lots and hurry and get yours done today before we run out so you know if you if you have COVID. When I got there, I, I, we had a, a meeting the night that I arrived. The few of us that were going to have to steer this thing. And I'm looking at this report. Once again, I had no reason to believe it wasn't true. And I acted accordingly. The county I went to serve has got roughly 300,000 people in it. And they were telling us to expect by June or July, 3,000 people to die in our county. Those were the predictions from the experts at the time. And then came the 15 days to flatten the curve. You know the rest of the story. And I'm staying at this multi-story hotel building. And there are like seven of us there, all socially isolated on different floors and parts so we wouldn't spread the virus to each other. Going to drive-in windows, take-out orders. You know, you remember... And I'm watching every afternoon the presidential briefing, the COVID briefing with Mike Pence and Anthony Fauci and and what's her name, Burks, Deborah Burks. I look back at that now in retrospect with all that we now know and knowing what Fauci knew at the time, what a bunch of reprobate liars they were and still are. Did people die of a disease? Yes, they did. Did a million people die in the United States of COVID? Absolutely not. People died of CDC protocol, not being treated properly, and any chance they could get to count a COVID death, whether it's the flu or even a car wreck or a gunshot wound, they did. The way the CDC worked back in 2020 and in 2021, and and I'm not sure about today, if you had had a COVID test that was positive somewhere in the last, I don't know, 30 or 60 days, and you died, you were considered COVID. If you came into the OR from a car wreck 
and you're dying from injuries from a car wreck, but you magically test positive in a PCR test for COVID, you were a COVID death. As I look over the numbers of 2020 in particular, the so-called excess deaths attributed to COVID, they don't really add up to the numbers we've been told. But see, Bob, that's a conspiracy theory. That's misinformation. You need to be shut down, deplatformed, thrown into a prison or something for saying the truth. Then you had total morons who happened to be governors in, in various states around the United States. Like Gretchen Whitmer in the state of Michigan, who had some of the most insane, illogical, and weird mandates that started during their 15 days and then months, and then if they, she had her way years to flatten the curve. You can go to a big box store and you can buy cleaning supplies and this and that, but you can't buy gardening supplies to grow food. Somehow that's going to spread the virus, growing food. I mean, this is the kind of craziness these people had. But then again, they were delusional and they loved their newfound power. I call the guy St. Andrew Cuomo the pious. You remember him, governor of New York? The love gov? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? Do you care? I mean, Andy Cuomo's press conferences were pushed out there by the mainstream media nationwide, just like the one from the White House. And they were making Cuomo a hero. Cuomo knew all about the need for ventilators, the need for this, the need for that, and why he could do a better job responding to COVID than the White House or anybody else. And Hollywood fell in love with the love gov. Gave him an Oscar for his performance. But unfortunately, if you look back now, it was a performance in fiction and lies. He finally got tossed out of office because he has some, let's let's just say, moral issues that he tries to hide and it caught up with him. And even among the most liberal and leftist and progressive Democrats, he was too much for them at the time. And so his Oscar and his awards are revoked. He resigns in disgrace derails his idea of running for governor again. And all of a sudden, this unknown woman from Buffalo, Kathy Hochul, becomes the new governor of the state of New York. And like I say, no one really knew who she was. We just knew that she was some Democrat woman from Buffalo and knew how to work the system. Ended up lieutenant governor. Hey, let's be honest. How many people know who their lieutenant governor is in their state? I bet you half of you don't. I do in the states that I live in. I I try to pay attention, but I'm surprised at how many people don't even know what they are or where they are or what they do. But once, once Cuomo was out, Hochul was in, 
And everybody was hoping she would be a voice of reason. And she's become a voice of craziness, insanity. I mean, she is so COVID-centric. She is a masked COVIDian to the max. She's a part of the cult of COVID, and she is a pro- and, and she's a prophet of COVID. She's a disciple of COVID. She's an apostle of COVID, and she even visits churches like she did last year in Brooklyn, New York, to to share her gospel of COVID. I've prayed a lot to God during this time, and you know what? God did answer our prayers. Now, pardon me for being so blunt, Kathy Hochul, Governor Hochul. Which God were you praying to? I ask that seriously. You claim to be a Catholic. Catholics are supposed to believe in the sanctity of life, something you reject. A matter of fact, there's a lot of your faith that you claim to have that you reject and ignore and deny. So what God are you praying to? Moloch? The God of dead children being sacrificed? The God of this world? It's certainly not the God of the Bible. Not with the presumptuous statements you made in that church in Brooklyn. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers. He made them come up with a vaccine. No, he didn't. That is from God to us. And we must say thank you, God. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say I'm vaccinated. All of you. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. But you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. Now, I'm sorry. When I listen to this, I, I want to throw up. This is what God wants. He wants you to put an experimental vaccine in a toddler. And we know the vaccine is worthless for a toddler. It causes severe issues for far too many. We know the dangers. We now know as the numbers have come out, this is not what God wanted, Kathy. God never demanded everybody take this experimental foolhardy vaccine with all its dangers. No. You wanted it because you love your power. And you didn't think this one through. And you thought this would solve COVID and make you and your party a bunch of heroes. You became a bunch of hypocrites. We have to solve this, my friends. I need every one of you. I need you to let them know that this is how we can get fight, fight this pandemic, come back to normal, and then start talking about the real issues that we have to fighting systemic racial injustice which exists today and if there's a denier i will take you on any day because i've seen it i know it exists and we are not going to have a blind eye to this ever again i play that to remind you that from the very beginning she has been a cult member of covidian using it for power grab i don't think she believes half of the nonsense she says or if she does she's delusional She believed that if you got the vaccine, you never got COVID. You couldn't spread COVID, even though the experts were already warning. That's not true. Never been tested. We don't know. She pushed it anyway. And she also pushed something a while back that we thankfully thought was gone. She wanted detainment quarantine camps for anybody exposed to things like 
blood pathogens, or diseases like COVID-19. So if she had had her way, and remember, a Supreme Court justice in the state of New York said, you can't do this. This is unconstitutional. It would have given her the power to detain New Yorkers in quarantine camps with no Fourth Amendment rights, detained without rights, held as long as some state official thought it was necessary. Kind of like January 6th prisoners. We don't need to go to trial. We don't need a a court date. We're just going to hold them indefinitely. We're becoming a banana republic. The plan had no age limit, meaning children could be taken from their families. And here's the worst part. You think with where we are in COVID and what we've learned, that she would have learned something. But no, this reprobate wants to appeal this ruling. Here's a story that came from the American Sunrise Show. And here's Dr. Naomi Wolf. You know, you'd think that that's an imaginary headline or something out of the Babylon Bee, um, but it's it's 100% literally accurate. I'm here in New York. Um, Governor Hochul is our governor, sad to say. Uh, She is a Democrat, and she's been fighting for quarantine camps like the kind they almost passed in um, Washington state, and it was only Citizens Outcry that stopped that. Um, But they have, of course, um, created quarantine camps in China, which is where the idea comes from for kind of a health-based quarantine camp, which is really no different from a concentration camp, essentially a detention camp. And right. um, and they have them in Australia as well. And uh, believe it or not, there's a there's a bill that she tried to pass. Um, there was huge citizen opposition to it, but a lot of people just know about it. The New York Times didn't cover it. Um, and so a very brave lawyer whom I know, a woman named Bobby Ann Cox, uh, single-handedly fought um, that uh piece of legislation and challenged it on constitutional grounds and and dragged it to a halt and unbelievably um you know this woman wants her quarantine camp so badly she has appealed uh governor hochel has appealed and i've looked at the quarantine camp regulation it's actually a board of health regulation in washington state and the reason that's so scary is it's not even a democratic process it just goes to the board of health which isn't even you know elected and has really no legislative oversight through the people. And it's so scary, that language, because they basically said, if you've been, quote unquote, exposed to a bloodborne pathogen, not even sick, not even transmissible, but just exposed to a bloodborne pathogen, whatever that is. And of course, things like Ebola are bloodborne. Um, then you can be detained and you can't even appeal like you don't even have your Fourth Amendment due process rights. So it's really like putting a little piece of Guantanamo right here in uh, in the United States and really suspending the Constitution. And it is unbelievable that that Governor Hochul is fighting. And it's scary for us because if she gets a judge who grants her appeal, um, you know, she can build quarantine camps and detain us. It's really that simple here in New York State. I shared all of this for a reason, to show the fight is not over. If you think for a moment that COVID is behind us, And there's just a few people running around fearfully still wearing their compliance mask. And a few hospitals and places still requiring the the COVID-19 masking, which doesn't work. In spite of science, real science, they're still doing silly and stupid things. 
If you thought it was over, it's not. It's just been put on the back burner for now. We, we deal with other issues like racism and transgenderism and you name it and and Ukraine and Russia and go on and on and and the end of the world and and climate change it's a never ending battle against us to hold us under subjection one way or the other these fights are far from over and that's why i do this radio program every day to remind you of a few things. Number one, news stories you know about give you some background and put it in the light of God's word. Even bring you stories that even a lot of conservative media don't seem to care about sharing. I don't know why. And also, most important, this program is here to help you in your eternal life just this life on this planet I've said it a thousand times the ballot box will fix very little real change begins on your knees praying before God that's why this radio program and all these ministries that I'm tying together including the church project need your help I'd like to expand the reach of this program I can't do it without your help Would you consider giving us your financial support to keep this message going? If you can, you can go to our website, truththenumber2ponder.com, truththenumber2ponder.com. You can use Give, Send, Go from the website. Also learn about the church project. Or, if you prefer, you can send a, a check or money order made payable to Ancient Word Radio. Ancient Word Radio. The mailing address is Post Office Box 510. P.O. Box 510. The city is Chilhowee, C H I L H O W I E, Chilhowee, Virginia, zip code 24319. Once again, make the check payable to Ancient Word Radio, P.O. Box 510, Chilhowee, Virginia, 24319. And we will be right back. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. An amazing thing you probably never knew about Palm Sunday. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn. Your Jewish connection bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Today we continue the Palm Sunday Mysteries with a question. Who is it that first mentioned Palm Sunday in the Bible? Was it Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul? The answer will surprise you. It was Moses. That's right. Moses. God speaking through Moses actually ordained Palm Sunday as a Jewish holy day in the Old Testament. See for yourself. Exodus 12. On the 10th day of this month, they're each to take a lamb for themselves, a lamb for each house. So every year on this holy day, the Jewish people would take the Passover lamb to their house, ready for the sacrifice. In what month do they do it? The first month, it says. That's the month of Nisan in the spring. Which day? The 10th. Thus, the 10th of Nisan is the first holy day given to the Jewish people. It comes four days before Passover on the 14th of Nisan. Now, we know Messiah celebrated Passover on Thursday night. That's the Last Supper. Count back four days and you uncover the mystery. Palm Sunday 
was actually the ancient Jewish holy day of the 10th of Nisan. So 2,000 years ago, on the 10th of Nisan, Palm Sunday, while Jewish people were bringing the Passover lambs to their houses, God was bringing the Lamb of God to his house in Jerusalem. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. The Lamb is brought to the house. Pretty incredible, huh? So remember, the ways of God are always more awesome and wonderful than anything you ever realize. So celebrate the holiday the biblical way. Let the Lamb truly come into your home. Happy 10th of Nisan, my friend. Happy Palm Sunday. Want more? Ask the Nissan Lamb. Now, how'd you like to receive special daily meditations and teachings with the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus to give you a victory for every day of your week? Updates on Israel and prophecy, a free subscription to Sapphires, and the, the mystery of the temple doors all free. How do you get all this? Just remember Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, and call it. Call 1-800-YESHUA-1. Call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in the Great Commission to bring salvation back to the Jewish people, to reach millions of unreached peoples around the world on five continents. Just call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. It's The Nice Jewish Boy, 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Until next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah Hasar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of Truth to Ponder for this Tuesday. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. A lot going on in the background, a lot of work being done this week. I'm thankful to have help in in working on the church building. I'm not sure exactly what date it will open, and and there's a website under construction for this, this project specifically. And I'm just excited. We got a little set back by a couple of minor things and health issues last week. And hopefully we'll begin to catch up. Weather is a lot better, too, uh, for us to get some things done. So keep us in prayer as we continue, I think, this very vital project. The most important thing I can share with you and talk with you about is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to fix the United States and make it a wonderful Christian nation again or if it ever was. We're going to fix one person at a time. And hopefully our voting will reflect our faith. That's my prayer anyway. I want to share with you a few words from Scripture. John 3, beginning at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I'm sure all of you recognize this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, I I preached a sermon on those words of Scripture and also reminded the congregation at that time 
of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and all the pitfalls, all the problems that came with it. And there are times I think many of us are living in an Egypt of sort here in the United States today. We know we should be following the things of God, but we're still kind of hanging in there on the things of this world. So I want to share this message with you. I preached it, I think, six years ago, maybe five. I'm not exactly 100% sure. But it's still relevant. This is pre-pandemic. It's still relevant for today. So join with me in listening to this message. This country needs a Moses more than anything to lead us to the promised land that God has promised for us. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time that we gather around so much of your word today that has so much for us and your people, may you open our ears to hear our eyes to see and our hearts to receive. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. When you look at the readings today from a preaching point of view, there's so much to work with here. I mean, this is one of those, take your choice. There is so much, whether it's the reading in the Psalm, whether it's the Old Testament reading from the book of Numbers. You know, the children of Israel had just moved to this new location. If you've ever studied the exodus of the Jewish people from the land of Egypt, it's an interesting 40-year journey. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, essentially in circles. They didn't go very far. And there's a reason they were in the wilderness so long. Many years ago, a little over 20 years ago, after I was ordained to the priesthood, I visited my bishop at the time who had suddenly, out of nowhere, had a series of two strokes and his health was declining rapidly. And I felt really led to go visit him at this rehabilitation center he was staying at. I just, he and I were very close. If it was not for this particular bishop, Oliver Lewis, I would not be in the ministry today. He pushed me screaming and kicking and dragged me across the finish line himself to make sure that it happened. And I remember he and I were having this conversation, and he was in the room there, and I gave him communion, because I, I had it with me to take, and, and he and I are talking. He goes, you know, Robert, he said, you are going to see the promised land. He said, this continuing church, and a lot of them broke away in 1977 with what's called the Affirmation of St. Louis, He said, we are the ones that are leaving Egypt and heading out into the desert. He started back in 77. And he goes, I will never see the promised land. Bishop Morse of this other group, he won't see it. He started rattling off all these bishops' names. He said, we're going to wander like idiots and bumping into each other for the next 40 years until all of us leaders are dead and gone because there's too much of Egypt still living in us 
for us to be effective in leading a church. He said, it's going to be the most disastrous church body for 40 years. You watch it. And he was right. I have watched some of the funniest things. I have been in several of the various jurisdictions, but I'm a Johnny come lately. I wasn't there in the beginning. I came in during the desert experience. And if you look at the children of Israel at that time, they left Egypt and they hadn't soon gotten out of Egypt. They're already grumbling and complaining. You know, back when we were in Egypt, we had leeks and onions we could eat. They forgot that they were being whipped as slaves, but they remembered selectively the good things about Egypt. And that's one of the problems we have today, even as Christians. Sometimes it's easy to look back with the rose-colored glasses about our life before Christ. It wasn't that bad. I wasn't that horrible. I wasn't... C.S. Lewis says it so well. You want to find out how bad of a person you are? Try to be good. You'll find out real quick how bad you truly are. And so here they have crossed again. They are out in the wilderness. They've already been through this multiple times with God, complaining. In the, these that left Egypt were the biggest complainers in the world. And the truth be known... Only those born in the wilderness that never saw Egypt entered into the promised land. They all died out there. Everyone that left Egypt died because they complained too much. I mean, God is patient. God is merciful. When I look at this nation, he's been really patient with the blessings he's given us and how we have turned our back on him and mocked him and condemned him and cursed him openly. Like no society I can think of since the time of Christ, except maybe England and parts of Europe that have already gone that direction a decade ahead of us. Last time I preached, I mentioned how church membership is declining in the United States, though the various pollers, pollsters will tell you that somewhere around 70-ish percent identify as some kind of a Christian, but out of that 70 percent, only a tiny fraction actually participate in a worship service or truly believe. I always call it the Chinese menu Christian format that's out there, a Christian you know, way of living. We, we pick and choose what we want and reject and don't, you know, we pick one from column A, one from column B, and one from column C and that's the essence of our faith. Yet those essentials to the faith are ignored, not a part of us, meaningless. You know, Luther ran across one verse in our epistle today that changed his life. This Augustinian monk, as he's studying scriptures and most importantly writing them out because they didn't have printing presses yet almost but not yet and he hit that we are saved by grace not by anything we've ever done and that really got to him because he had been raised in this works righteousness mode that you earn your way into God's kingdom that's where C.S. Lewis is so right we can't earn it 
try to be good, we'll find out how bad we really are. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And the dichotomy of going back and forth between, okay, works doesn't save us, but works are the evidence of being saved. It gets complicated, and it shouldn't be, but it is for so many. But in the book of Numbers, we go back to the children of Israel. You think after a while they would get the message in the first year or so in the desert. We have no bread. Then came manna from heaven, dropped ready to eat every morning. His mercies are new every morning. They complained, they mumbled, they consistently badgered God. And he provided their needs. But they would get to a point, they would get to the point where they would anger God and he had to chastise. And we see today in the Old Testament, God sends these serpents among them and they start getting bit by these serpents and some people are getting very sick and or dying. Well, obviously then they go to Moses. Oh, you know, the God they've been complaining about, please pray that he'll be merciful to us. And it's amazing what Moses tells them to do, which I know is by the anointing of the Holy Spirit from God to Moses' heart, because I don't think Moses had any clue of what he was setting up, to take a serpent raised and let the people gaze upon that serpent and they shall live, the type of Christ on the cross. You know, Jesus is both our advocate, our lawyer, that's what an advocate actually is, our advocate, our redeemer, but he will be our judge. It is, we get this opportunity to let Jesus be our advocate, to be the substitution for our sin, to take it upon him. So when the time of judgment comes, there is no sin found in us. I read an interesting article, and I kind of shared this with my wife, and it was kind of an eye-opener. And there are a couple of songs out there, gospel songs, whatever, that talk about how, you know, Jesus got me my pardon. You've heard that term before. The truth is, we're never pardoned from our sin. I want you to think about that for a second. And it took me a moment to, to grasp the concept. We're never pardoned from our sin. How could we? To be pardoned from our sin means that the sin remained, but we are no longer being held accountable for that sin. That's all a pardon means. When a president pardons somebody, it doesn't mean that that person didn't do it necessarily, unless it's declared as such, but they're no longer going to be held liable or responsible, but the sin existed. See, the difference is when Jesus takes your sin and my sin upon him to the cross, there is no sin, no pardon required because we are found sinless before God. 
That's an amazing thing. He's my advocate. He takes upon himself those things that separate me from an almighty God. He takes them permanently to the grave, and I rise with him into the newness of life. What a, what a wonderful God that we serve. Yet even so, we do live in a time and an age, I believe, I believe firmly that there is judgment out there and judgment to come. You know, I was thinking this morning, it was a little harder getting up this morning, wasn't it? Your body's just not ready for this. Yet you, the faithful, are here today, and many are not. Now, if this was a work day or a school day, we would make ourselves go. But it's only God. It's only church. We can pull that off. That's the mentality out there in this post-Christian America. I say it's post-Christian because Christianity is now the minority. True believers, even the minority of that. And sinking fast. I've been praying over the last several months, actually, and really in the last several weeks, going, Lord, how do you build a church and plant a church in this day and age? This is definitely not friendly earth that's been turned and ready to receive a seed. I'm going out there among the briars. I'm going out there on the concrete trying to plant seeds to build a church. Yet in these jungles and bad places, there are little bits of good dirt here and there that God has prepared by his Holy Spirit. Talking to a guy on the phone the other day. He is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he has been working for several years to build a church. But what he wanted to build or what he thought he was going to build several years ago has never worked out the way he wanted it to. He was looking to build a typical church, kind of like this, or maybe, you know, whether they use the newer prayer book or the older prayer book, irrelevant, so just essentially, quote, an Anglican church. And he's not getting anywhere fast. Of course, there are a couple of well-established traditional Anglican churches in the Tulsa area. I know of one in particular that I've been to before 20 years ago, huge place. And we look like youngsters compared to them here, let me tell you. I'm serious. And all of, as he tried to start a church, he kept ending up with, how do we put it politely? The lesser of humanity became a lot of his calling. And so he never could get into the kind of a place he thought he should have for a building or this or that and the other. And he was starting to get really frustrated. His church body was not backing him at all. And he opened up a conversation with me. And I said, he said, sometimes you got to think outside of mankind's box. You know, we, we think we have to meet in a place with pews and this and that. We may not necessarily have to do that. So don't, don't make that your only requirement. Look for the people. Look for being the remnant. Look for being grounded in his word and his truth and see where it takes you. Well, for a while, they had to retreat back into house churches 
meeting a couple of times a week in two different parts of town to accommodate two different groups. And now they're getting ready to meet today as their first Sunday. Ready for this? In a big meeting room at an English pub. Oh yeah, beautiful place, I've seen the pictures. And something tells me they're going to have a breakthrough because the focus now is on learning more about this, God's word. Learning how to get on their knees, pray and repent, to receive the sacrament. Those are the things that are becoming important, not what the world thinks, a sign, pews, stained glass windows. You know, those may or may not come in time. Put first things first, and that's what they're doing. I think of a pastor friend of mine that I help, we helped support last year. We will again this year. He has a ministry in the Philippines. And he gets cable TV time at an incredibly discounted, grandfathered rate like nobody I've ever seen for an hour a week. Not on a Sunday, but actually on a, good, on, on a Thursday evening. And for years... They have been producing. I, I need to help them find some better equipment down the road, but they're getting, they're getting the job done, but it could be better. And they're reaching a few thousand people every week with a television program. It costs them about $150 American for that airtime. You couldn't buy $150 of the airtime, wouldn't get you 30 seconds on a radio station in West Palm Beach. Maybe, maybe 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah. And so he's worth helping, and I'm watching his congregations grow. I've got another bishop that I talk to occasionally. I don't talk much about him openly. I want to protect him. He's in, let's say, not a very friendly to Christian area in Pakistan. And, you know, and he doesn't want any money. He just wants your prayers. Think about that for a second. I don't need your money. I need your prayers that I can continue in this work on, you know, safely. I know others that are in places like Kenya that could use an old car. They get tired of traveling the hard way. I mean, you'd be surprised what some of the people I deal with. And then I have another guy that's one of my people that in two years from now is going to be one of the best church planters the Church of God of Findlay, Ohio ever had. And when this guy goes out to plant a church, the first Sunday there's like three or 400 people ready to meet. And that's how he spent his life till he got burnt out in the, at the age of 39. And he's been spending some time in a small congregation. But in two years, and I'm gonna be meeting with him this summer, along with another pastor friend, I've got several people, the Lord has just laid on my heart, you have to go see. It's time for them to be prepared to walk into the promised land. They were birthed in the wilderness, all of these people. And the promised land is just over the, over the horizon. You gotta get your people ready. The gospel had the most famous verse that every Christian probably learns first. John three sixteen. And we may know it in the King James Version. Others may know it in the Coverdale Version. But in essence, always the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish, doesn't mean earthly death, but have everlasting life. It is appointed unto all mankind once to die in the flesh, but never to die in our spirit and to be raised into that newness of life. There's a hymn. I need to sing it one Sunday when I think of the serpent being raised in the wilderness. Lift high the cross. How many have heard that one? Lift high the cross. Beautiful hymn, yeah. We need to lift high the cross because if we lift high his cross, just like the children of Israel, they will see Christ and they will not perish. I have a responsibility to plant and build churches and grow them. And that is becoming increasingly burdensome on our hearts. The time has come. The promised land is here. We're getting ready and, you know, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, we pray for more laborers into that harvest. It's harvest time. And I'm realizing it's, it's easy to do one thing and stay away from it. It's hard to get out there in a world that doesn't want to hear and receive this message, this message of his grace. They don't want to hear it. It's all about us. Even many of our worship centers are all about us, not about him. It's what we get, what makes us feel good. Am I entertained? Am I feeling fulfilled today? Am I being made to be more important than I was when I came in here this morning? Is what the real answer is. And if that's what you're looking for, Jesus says, go, <laughs> don't waste your time. I'm asking you to pick up a cross and follow me, not to pick up a set of headphones and get entertained. Big difference. The remnant time the Bible talked about is now. But you know, it's always been a remnant. And I'm going to close on this thought. Back in my talk show radio days at a secular radio station in South Carolina, I used to have so much fun making fun of the local blue laws. Now you'd think a guy like me coming out of a ministry with you all for him. I opposed them. As I was willing to say on the radio to the county council at the time, I said, I have never seen a bunch of hypocritical buffoons in my life. You vote to suspend them the four weeks before Christmas, the holiest time of the year, for the tax revenue you're going to get. But then we're going to look moral and clean and pure to the world because we close our businesses down on Sunday until 1 o'clock. And, I'm, and I said, that's his, you know, that to me is veneer. It's fake. We make it look like our people go to church on a Sunday morning instead of shop because they can't go shopping unless they drive an hour and a half to Atlanta. You know, just like, you know, what is, 
always remind them this country never had blue laws for years. You know, when this country was founded, there was no such thing as a blue law anywhere. It's only when Jewish people came over and opened their stores on a Sunday and they were closing on a Saturday, we actually enforced the first set in, in and that, that happened in Savannah, Georgia. What, Jewish people open on a Sunday? That's competition. Shut it down. That's what they did. So that's the truth behind your blue laws. Had nothing to do with honoring Christ. It was all about money. I'd rather have a person come to church because he wants to come to church. He makes the choice to come to church. If his job requires him to work on a Sunday, the first day of the week, then he finds a church that offers something on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Saturday, and a lot of them do. But he makes Christ first in his life. That's what God is looking for. Those that, well, might as well go to church today and got nothing else better to do. That's kind of what it boils down to with blue laws. Might as well. Unless it's raining and the fish are biting. Take your choice. Yeah, we see a lot of that. Heavenly Father, we need to lift high the cross of your Son to a lost and dying world. We are saved by the grace that you have given us, a free gift. You gave us your Son. The ultimate gift you could give and the life that he gave on behalf of us not to pardon us but to redeem and take away our sin may we acknowledge that in all that we do may he be the first in our life each and every day and not an afterthought father we will come before your altar in a few moments to receive of your Son, Jesus Christ. May it strengthen and preserve us unto everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman.
is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. In spite of all of our difficulties, in spite of all the circumstances we face in this life, if we are truly believers on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have hope. And for us, regardless of the circumstances, Canaan land is just in sight. There's so many leaders in this world that will try to deceive you, even invoking the name of God for some secular cause. Those that are truly not believers in God's word, that have rejected God's word, that have compromised God's word, that have thrown away and become apostate and made a mockery of their faith, all for political expediency or for some kind of secular cause or wealth. We can be better than that. I doubt if we'll ever fix this nation. There'll be a continued falling away. We can slow it down and prepare ourselves for the time that is coming. That's why I do this radio program each and every day. I need your help to expand, to grow, to share with more. Right now, your gift as we end this month is vitally needed as we go into April. Would you consider supporting us? You can do it from the website, truththenumber2ponder.com. We have Give, Send, Go online giving. Or you can make a check or money order made payable to Ancient Word Radio. Ancient Word Radio. Post Office Box 510. Post Office Box 510. The city is Chilhowie, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, zip code 24319. That zip code again, 24319. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two. Ponder.com. Truth to Ponder. Shining the light of truth in a darkening world.